Welcome to The Frenzy. I'm Melissa Carter. And I'm Jen Hobby. The Frenzy's mission is to celebrate friendships over 40. We believe that women can thrive through authentic relationships, self-discovery, and spiritual exploration. Our decades-long friendship continues to grow because we are willing to go there and share our truths through life's highs and lows. That's why The Frenzy is here, to hold space for women who are 40 and older, because at this age, your story matters more than ever. I'm Melissa, and I have a bad habit of playing with my hangnails, even creating some hangnails. I'm just... Oh, yes, me too. I, I play with they're my and I it's like I have to tell myself okay if you keep playing with this it's gonna you're gonna it's gonna cause like bleeding and sore you like you got to go clip that but I just I, just, I don't know what it is but I, is it a nervous habit or is it because you like it to be smooth probably a combination of both because I find that I do it obviously more if I am nervous about something and I find and I I don't drink as much as I used to but when I used to drink it like when I'd get tipsy. I'd really like, I, I would have sore fingers the next morning because when I got tipsy, somehow I wow. fixated on it. And um, really? <laughs> so anyway, yeah. I got hangnails. I just love them. You know what? I'm with you on the nervous habit. If I'm nervous, if I'm doing a celebrity interview, you better believe that after it's done, I will have a hangnail. And really? I don't even know that I've been doing it. Yeah. That's why I guess. What is that connection? Well, and first of all, I'm shocked to hear that because I'm the one that is... Uh, gets nervous at celebrity interviews. It shows that, see, even Jen Hobby sometimes gets see, nervous. See, I can come off as confident, but underneath, <laughs> I'm picking my hangnails. That's right. <laughs> just, just know. That's why you never see your hands during an interview. If it's right. Video. <laughs> <laughs> that is fascinating yeah. and did not know the value. Okay. Yeah. I'm Jen Hobby, and I am a failing Invisalign patient. <laughs> <laughs> that takes discipline. Because you're, okay, explain to people who may not know what an Invisalign is. I didn't know you were doing it. Well, doing my it. teeth shifted when I was pregnant. Do you know this? We've had no. past shows about hormones. And when you're pregnant, hormones cause all kinds of strange things to happen. And your teeth can shift amid big hormonal changes. And really? my teeth shifted. Yes. Yeah, so I was a kid who had tons of braces, uh, you know, braces, retainers, and, you know, years and years of all that stuff. And then I went a long time without anything. But after I had my kids, my teeth have been shifting, shifted and have been shifting. And so I signed wow. up to do Invisalign several years ago and I failed at it then because they put these clear trays in your mouth that shift your teeth and you're supposed to wear them like 22 hours a day. You can take them out for like eating and brushing your teeth and you're supposed to put them back in again. Well, with what we do for a living, working on the radio, doing podcasting, we talk for a living, so I can't have them in because it creates this lisp, and I can't have a lisp while I'm trying to do my radio spots, right? I can't. I mean, it's just like, I mean, uh, other professions don't require you to talk as much, and you'd probably be fine doing Invisalign. I got to take them out, and if I'm not talking, I'm eating, so I'm like the worst Invisalign patient, so I gave it up. It was like, I was doing it in like 2019 and then all kinds of stressful things happened that year. So I was like, you know what? I can't have one more stress on my plate. So I've picked it back up again this year and I'm really trying, but 
I am failing. I take them out and then I forget until the next night. No, so you're not, not failing. That's that's no, that's a negative take on it. You're it, it is not uh, Invisalign is failing you by not giving <laughs> you the options that you need for your lifestyle. But at least you can take it out. I mean, we've witnessed people that got veneers that uh, permanently have an issue with trying to learn how to talk again. Yes, it will really change your speech. Anything in your mouth can totally yes. change. And you don't think about that. No, you don't. Because right. you're, I mean, think about when you speak your tongue placement, where your lips go, all mm -hmm. that stuff. So I'm still trying to shift my teeth back to where they make me happy. But I'm telling you, it's going to take me years because, because I just don't wear them like I should. Right. Well, like I said, in the veneer comment, I mean, I, I was thinking how many how many people did I know in radio that got veneers? And I was just like three people. So, I mean, that's a that's a it's, lot. It's yeah, a lot. And it's and it's a consistent issue. So if you get veneers, just know you're going to talk funny for a minute. All right. But then we're not going to talk about veneers or teeth on today's show. We're going to give <laughs> Jen encouragement about a Mizzalon. Uh, But we also we're going to talk about the uniqueness of multi-race families with our friend, author Colleen Oakley. Now, not only is she a best-selling author, she is raising four, four children at the same time. And we're talking younger children. Uh, we will talk about motherhood and that balance with life and, you know, life, uh, life, career balance. I didn't say that very well, but you know what, you know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you think I had Invisalign in my mouth. The balance of life and career. I love it. You'll hear Colleen's stories and perspectives, IRL, in real life. I look at you being like the hip kids. That's like what people post on Instagram, <laughs> IRL. Okay. Um, and I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, and you're going to hear how these experiences help her develop her rich characters in her novels. Now, here's what I want you to know is that Colleen is white and her husband, Fred, is black. Now, mm -hmm. she is not a race studies expert. She's not a professor on this topic. But Melissa and I thought it'd be interesting to get her perspective because we're also raising young kids. Colleen is a mom raising kids who are biracial. And she has a unique story to share from the heart on this podcast. And that, yes. And because I think that we're in a culture where you do have to be responsible on how you talk about race. Right. And we understand that, but we also uh, feel we tell you to share your story all the time. And that's what we're doing. We're having Colleen share her story. So she is just a mother who happens to be in an interracial relationship that has biracial kids. And we were really curious for her to talk from the heart about that because we need to have these conversations and yes. we're going to have one today. So we want to ask you too, have you subscribed to the frenzy podcast yet i mean from all the mistakes you've heard so far today i mean why <laughs> the hell wouldn't you uh, but, we, <laughs> but we do we do want you to subscribe and please leave us a review maybe not of the last five minutes but please leave <laughs> us a review uh no seriously you can subscribe on apple podcast uh, i know a lot of our listeners do that but you can also uh, subscribe to anywhere you listen to podcasts so if you are on stitcher on a road trip we're there. If you're on Pandora, we're there. I mean, you can ask your home speaker uh, to pull us up. We'll be there. So just know you can you can find us anywhere. And if you enjoy this episode of The Frenzy, please share it with a friend. We would love for more women like you to find out about our show. And Melissa, we are going to dive into this conversation with Colleen Oakley here in just a minute. But first, let's thank our sponsors. Just heard your friend, neighbor, or colleague has been diagnosed with cancer? Your first instinct is, what can I do? Kick It Pajamas is the answer. 
Kickit sells pajamas, gowns, and other accessories specifically designed for those going through cancer treatment. Go to kickitpajamas.com and use the code FRENZY to get 10% off. That's kickitpajamas.com, code FRENZY for 10% off. Give the gift of comfort and style. Kickit Pajamas. Let's kick cancer off the planet. Hey, it's Melissa. My family has a history of vascular disease, so I make a point to get my vascular system checked through Lifeline screening each year. The health of your arteries is important and it's critical to understand your risk of stroke and cardiovascular disease. With a simple preventative screening, I get peace of mind or early detection so that I can take action. Since 1993, Lifeline Screening's highly experienced staff has screened over 10 million people in order to bring awareness to potential health problems for follow-up with your physician. To find out more, go to LifelineScreening.com. That's LifelineScreening.com and be sure to use the code FRIENDS. That's frenzy without the Y. So that's F-R-I-E-N-D-Z. Okay, friends, we are thrilled to introduce you to today's guest, Colleen Oakley. She is a USA Today best-selling author of books like You Were There Too, Close Enough to Touch, Before I Go, and her latest, The Invisible Husband of Frick Island. Colleen's novels have been longlisted for the Southern Book Prize twice and Close Enough to Touch won the French Reader's Prize. Her books have been translated into 21 languages. That's incredible optioned for films and have received numerous accolades. Colleen is a former magazine editor for Marie Claire and Women's Health and Fitness. She's a proud graduate of the University of Georgia School of Journalism. And Colleen currently lives in Smyrna with her husband, four kids, four chickens, two guinea pigs, and one fish. I didn't know she had all that. (laughs) So friends, please help us welcome Colleen Oakley to the Frenzy. Oakley, welcome to the Frenzy Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. We are pumped to talk to you today, and we're going to cover all kinds of great stuff. Of course, your amazing books and life as a writer. Um, Also, we want to talk about motherhood because all three of us and a lot of our listeners are really balancing it all, and you are doing it in such a spectacular way. Colleen is a mother of four children four children, and she's a best-selling author. How in the world is this all coming together? (laughs) I mean, I think we start there. And then I want to talk about your unique family too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I love getting asked that question. It's funny. At every book event I do, it seems that, you know, somebody in the audience or multiple people are raising their hands saying, how do you do it all? And it's funny. I always say, how do you do it all? Because usually it's another mother, you know, who's also working and raising children who's asking me that question. And I think we're all hoping that somebody else has like this secret bullet, right? <laughs> like this magic piece. And they're, they're, that person is going to tell me the magic of how to make this work. Because I do think we all are in the same boat. Like we all feel like maybe we're not doing any part of our life, like super well, we're all just kind of trying to get by. Yes. And, scotch, and, scotch taping it together. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know. I'm sorry to tell everyone that I'm the exact same. I just am trying as hard as I can to, to make it work and do the best I can. <laughs> you know, as you say that, it makes me think uh, that I think you, you answered it perfectly because the frenzy is going to show people that there is no expert, right? Mm -hmm. Because I do think that we are targeted a lot 
uh, by the literary world when it comes to advice books, because they know that we're seeking that and they offer, they have offerings of people who say they're the expert, but then it's like, well, that doesn't really relate to me and my children, you know, but I do have a follow-up question about your schedule because I'm fascinated by writers and what your writing schedule is like and, and, you know, what does your day look like with four children? Yeah. So for me, it's, um, I'm, I'm lucky now in that all of my children are school age. So I have a very, um, regular schedule where as soon as they go off to school, I sit down at my desk and I, that's my full-time job. So I am writing generally, you know, from the time they leave, uh, till the time they get home doing my social media, answering interviews, you know, things of this nature. Um, this is my work time. So, you know, it it sounds simple. It's not always that simple. When I'm on deadline, I get up really early in the morning and try to fit in some hours in the morning. I will go on writer retreats to try and get blocks of time where I can just write for, for a couple of days in a row. Um, I'll work at night after the kids go to bed. So, you know, again, I'm piecing it together. But for the most part, it is, you know, that six hours that the kids are at school that I'm mm-hmm. kind of pounding away. <laughs> Have you ever been on deadline where you've just said to your husband and said, like, I got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm out. I, I have to meet this deadline. Yeah, absolutely. And he, I mean, he's great. And I'm also lucky that he has a flexible enough schedule and is, is a hands-on enough parent that, you know, I can do that. And I, you know, I've holed up at Chateau Alain before. I have driven down to Savannah to my parents' house. They live down there and they'll host me for these writer retreats and like leave food at the door and coffee, you know, in the morning. <laughs> Um, to just let me kind of get these words out because, you know, as a, you guys know, as, as moms, like you do just have to carve out the time sometimes for work. I, yeah, I did see misery. I saw where he went to that, you know, <laughs> cabin, did, things didn't work out so well, but still no, but I, but I, I also remember one of my favorite writers is my Angelou and, you know, I was reading her before she, you know, was at Obama's inauguration. Like, you know, she's been a longtime author. And one of the things she said is when she's finishing up, when she's, you know, completing her manuscript, she always would rent out a hotel for like a weekend or an extended stay to make sure she got it done and didn't leave that room until, until it was finished. So it's interesting how you can let little life's a little distract. I mean, think about when, you know, I, I try to check email and then when I'm checking email or about to write an email that I want to send to Jen, then when I get in the email, I see something else like, Oh, I got to fix that. Oh, I got to handle that. Oh, I got to handle that. And then I forget at the end of the day, I never emailed Jen and that was my intention. Right. So I could see as a writer, just getting out of the house is a must. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, also when you're doing a creative pursuit, you know, your brain needs time to kind of unknot those things or just to kind of sit. Sometimes I sit and I'm staring off into space and it looks like I'm not working, but I really am like thinking and trying to, uh, you know, like work on plot or character or whatever I'm thinking about. And if a child comes in to ask me for a snack, which seems like a really innocuous, like two second thing, I mean, it can knock my whole train of thought off. And I mean, you know, it's just, it's really challenging. So, and I'm sure every mom can relate to that if they're in the middle of sending an email or a text and then a child comes in or or interrupts, you know, it really can throw things off. I just want to reiterate something you just said for those who are creatives in our audience, the Mm -hmm. fact that you allow time to just unknot those things, because I think for a lot of people, they don't understand the creative spirit. It needs to be away from a structure, Mm -hmm. right? Art is the absence of structure 
And so, you know, I think for a lot of people, they think, oh, if I sit down, then this is going to pour right out of me. And that's not how art works. Right. That's exactly, exactly right. And I was thinking about it, too. It's a great metaphor for anyone who wants to do something creative or start a new project, whatever that might be, not necessarily a book, but anything is to really carve out that space to eliminate the distractions, whatever they may be, and and give yourself that time. Because as mothers, there's so often we just don't allow ourselves to be the priority. Right. And of course, our kids are a priority. We're in love with them. We would do anything for them. But it's okay to set that aside every once in a while to create space for yourself. Do you find any guilt around that? Oh my gosh. When am I not feeling guilty is the right question. Um, I'm there too. Yeah, I do feel a lot of guilt. Um, I think it was worse when they were really little and I mm-hmm. felt like, you know, I had to be there 24 hours a day. So like, even when I was spending time with them and my brain was thinking about the the story I was working on, I felt so much guilt. And then if I was in my office and actually had time to work, then I was feeling guilty that I wasn't spending time with them. It was like nothing I did was good enough. That has lessened, you know, as they've gotten older and they have their own interests and, you know, there's a little bit more um, time spent away and it's okay because I know that they'll be all right. But, oh yeah, guilt constantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some of those things, it's like, we got to either just let it go or accept it. And this is just, this is where we are. You're, to your point, what you were saying earlier, Melissa, Melissa, is I think, yes, guilt comes along with it. But but one of the ways that I make myself feel better is by saying, if I did not do this creative pursuit, which also is making money for my family, I would not be kind of a whole person for them. You right. know, and I and so so while, yes, there is guilt, I also feel like I am being true to myself and feeling like a better present mother when I'm with them because I am kind of nurturing all sides of me, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think your kids eventually will understand and appreciate that because kids want to know you, especially when they get older, you want to know your mother as a person, not just as your mom, right? But there's, a, speaking of mom, something that Jen has said to me in her parenting um, and I'm not sure if it was on air or off air that I think relates to this. And it's the fact that she doesn't want to overschedule her girls so that they can be bored sometimes because that's where imagination comes from. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. Hopefully, Jen, I, yeah, I no, that's convey that. True. But and I think that as an adult, don't you have to remember to do that for yourself? There are times mm-hmm. where you need to be bored in order for inspiration to to come up and not be afraid to do that for yourself. Yes, 100%. And God, Jen, I love that you say that because I, Fred and I do the exact same thing with our kids. And it's hard it, because it's so easy in, in our society when a kid comes up and says they're bored and they're whining to hand them a device to say, go turn on the TV, you know, to like take care of that problem so that you don't have to hear them whining mm-hmm. that they're bored. But nine times out of 10, if you wait it out 15 minutes, 30, sometimes an hour with my kids, you know, eventually they will find something to do. And then it does feel very satisfying that they realize they can entertain themselves and they have these great imaginations that they will rely on and serve them well in the future. Mm -hmm. Yes. I've been heard in my house saying my job is as your mom is not to entertain you. (laughs) That is not my job as your mom. It's to entertain other people, but not you. Right. So Colleen, let's dive into your family a little bit. Tell us about your four kids and their ages and tell us about your family dynamic. 
Yeah, so I'm married to a wonderful man uh, named Fred. We have four children, which uh, we still can't believe some days. <laughs> it's still shocking to us that we have four children. Um, my oldest is 11. I have, uh, my son is 11. I have a nine-year-old daughter, and then I have twins that are boy-girl twins, and they are six. How cute. Now, oh, the uniqueness so of your family is the fact that your husband is African-American and your children are racially mixed. Right. And so, you know, we want to talk about that for a second, because I, you know, when we were going to have you on the show, I was telling Jen that one of my dear friends um, is an African-American woman who mm -hmm. comes from a mixed family, her father, white, her mother, African-American. And she decided to have children before she got a husband. She's like, I want the, ch I don't need, I, I, I don't want the man right now. So she got a sperm donor, but she's dark skinned and her siblings are light skinned. So she was like, all right, let me get a white donor so that I can at least have my son feel like he's a part of this family. And she got what she wanted. She's like, I'm still the darkest skinned of everybody because my son looks like he's my sister's kid and not my kid. But still, it, and it's through her that I understood or I began to have an awareness, let me say. Mm -hmm. of how the world portrays mixed race families because it is a white girl with two white parents never crossed my mind but she after having her son was very sensitive and very um needing she was searching mm -hmm. to make sure there were positive images for her son so I, I was hoping maybe you could talk about that a little bit and if you feel the same way yeah, absolutely. And, you know, being a white woman who came from white parents, you know, I, it, it's similar story to for me, you know, like when I um, married Fred and we had children, it's been such a learning process for me. And I'm still learning. I'll be learning my entire life because the truth is I will never actually know what it is to be a black person or a biracial person in this country. I have, you know, uh, secondhand, very close secondhand experience watching my husband and my kids kind of navigate this world. But it's been very eye opening for me. And of course, absolutely. One of the main things that you want to do is make sure that your kids see people of all races, see people that look like themselves. And so the, the one of the first things we did when we moved back to Atlanta was make sure that we picked a community that was very diverse. Uh, we live in Smyrna. We think it's wildly out of a lot of communities in Atlanta, one of the most diverse socioeconomically, uh, ethnically, racially, we feel really good and comfortable that we're, they don't ever feel like they stick out. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? School in the community, they have friends of, of all different backgrounds, which I think is really great and can be rare in America to find communities like that. So right. it's true. And I, you know, I was talking to Colleen before we started and I was like, I, I feel like the topic of race is something that we should be talking about all the time, but mm -hmm. I get very nervous talking about it because I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. Like even yesterday before this podcast, I went and looked up, are you supposed to say biracial mixed race or multiracial. And I found every answer on the internet. And I was like, okay, all of them are wrong. I didn't even think about it. I, I probably I said even... that completely wrong. I don't That's, know. <laughs> I know. So I wanted to ask Colleen, if you can educate us on what is the right verbs to you, you know, the, the right terminology, um, or the most inclusive terminology, because I think we all want to do right. And yep. we just don't want to stumble and screw up accidentally. Of course, for sure. And I want to say that I am, not an expert on race, which of I think course, a lot yeah. of people, because I happen to be married to a black man and because my children are biracial, 
I do have a lot of friends that come to me with questions, which I'm happy to share knowledge that I have gained uh, over the years, but I certainly am not the expert. And uh, when it comes to my family, I, I don't care what you call it. <laughs> right, right. You know, like, like it doesn't offend me. And and again, that's probably or could be due to my privilege. It's very hard to offend me. You know, I've not had to deal with, with all these mm -hmm. questions my whole life or microaggressions or, or different things that Black people in this country, unfortunately, have to deal with on a daily basis. So yeah, multiracial, biracial, interracial. I'm great with it all. And I, I also feel like my kids, you know, we talk to them a lot. We talk about race a lot in this in this house, but they'll have terms that they feel comfortable with and how they will identify themselves. Maybe it will be black. Maybe it will be biracial. I don't know. But I feel like as they get older, they will get to make those decisions for themselves. You know, I, I am a lesbian and my son has two moms. And so, you know, we struggled in the beginning with how do we bring up the topic to him? Because the one thing you don't want your child to feel is different. And so it's like, okay, if we say something to him first, is he going to feel different because we made it different? Do we wait till somebody else says something and then we are playing on the defense and it still seems like a betrayal to him that we didn't prepare him? You know, so we we I mean, struggled and struggled with how to handle this. And by the time we were halfway to making a decision, our son expressed to a stranger that he had two moms. And so we realized he understood. And and just the other day we were at the pool and he met a new kid at the pool and he told the kid, hey, I got two moms. This is my, one of my moms and my other one somewhere else. And he's like, OK, cool. And they start playing. So, um, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, maybe your struggle with your husband on how to address these issues and how people who don't have difference in their homes, like there's their children are part of the majority, how they can still help their children you know, be, be good to our kids. Yeah, absolutely. So to your point, I love that story, Melissa. That's so fantastic. Um, you know, a story of overthinking it. Yes. No matter what's going on in your home, we're overthinking every parenting decision, yeah. right? It's just what, what the nature of it is because we want to do it right. So, but interestingly enough, the, the thing is kids are wildly observant. So whether you say anything or not, they're not blind, right? Like they understand <laughs> if things look different in their household as to somebody else's household. So I always made sure that, you know, books are a big deal for me. I'm an author, so my kids have grown up with books. So I always made sure that even their picture books had uh, different families in them, different colored people in them, uh, different ethnic backgrounds in the books so that so that it wasn't just, and, and dolls, you know, toys, everything. So I was very conscious of that, um, but wasn't ever quite sure when to introduce like concepts like racism. I mean, do you want to tell a three-year-old <laughs> that somebody might not like them based on the color of their skin? You know, I didn't have any uh, uh, knowledge of when to do that. But interestingly, my children were the ones to bring it up first in that they would go, mommy, you have peach skin. I have tan skin. Daddy has brown skin. You know, like they know the difference. And so then I think, and I do think this goes for every uh, parent, no matter what your race or ethnic background is. Our job is to make that difference normal and okay. Mm -hmm. So, so if you have white children, I was raised, and I think you guys were probably raised during a time where. I truly believe this, that that Martin Luther King came before me and he fixed racism. 
and that everything was okay. I mean, I, I remember thinking yeah. this as a child. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't understand. I knew that there were some racist people in the world, but I didn't definitely didn't understand systemic racism, um, you know, didn't understand unconscious bias, like didn't understand any of those really complicated concepts that a lot of adults have trouble understanding. And I was also raised in a time where to bring up somebody's race was offensive. You didn't say it was like this colorblind thing. You didn't say mm -hmm. that person is black to even state like a fact is offensive. And so I think there are still a lot of white parents that kind of suffer under this, which is understandable because you were raised this way that in this kind of colorblind is best. You don't bring up differences. But I think that that is actually hurting the next generation of kids. So, for instance, I've been on the playground before where a child has said to my son, you know, it's way, way back when he was like two or three, you have uh, brown skin. And my, of course, my son's like, yeah, you know, um, but the mom like whisked the child oh. away, you know, like, oh, we don't know. We don't say that which then I think tells that child that brown skin is bad yes. right? or pointing out brown skin or pointing out differences that then has shame right. and, and a bad connotation. Right. Where and the kid's like, I was just saying the same as like blue or purple right. or you're wearing a red shirt what? and I'm wearing a green shirt. And it's everybody like, and everybody had good intention in that situation. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And you exactly. still exuded racism. Yes. Yes. Where that mom, if she had said, yes, yes, he does. And look, your skin is this color and his skin is that color. And everybody has differences and different skin and different hair. And, you know, we all have differences and that's what makes the world go round. I mean, I right. say that to my kids all the time. Isn't that wonderful? It's what makes the world go round. It would be so boring if we were all the same. So that was probably a very long-winded answer. To no, it, well, you brought up a great point because yeah. I had the same feeling about MLK. Like, oh, he's the guy that stopped this. And it wasn't until, I guess I, guess I was in high school when the uh, it's a black thing you wouldn't understand mantra became popular. And I remember thinking, what is it I don't understand? You know, so I think, yes, I mean, we're still like Jen, you know, where it Jen's intention is absolutely pure, but she's still nervous because there are people who will attack you for being ignorant on these issues. And I said off air, I want us to get back to the point where we can be ignorant and educated and nobody be offended. But I don't know how we get to that point. Right, right. Well, and I also think, unfortunately, being called racist or or somebody pointing out to you that something you've done or said is racist is now like the worst thing that you can be called. And so your your first thought or mechanism is to defend yourself. And, no, 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 I'm not because I'm not a bad person. Like if somebody calls you racist or says something you've done is racist, you immediately go, no, 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 I'm a good person. Wait, no, like you've misconstrued me. I'm a good person which I think is part of the miscommunication. Like if, if, if somebody says to you, that was really offensive, you know, like that felt racist, your first inclination, our first inclination as humans should be, oh my gosh, let me pause. I certainly didn't mean to offend you. I need to do some introspection on why that was offensive and how I can do better. Do you know what I mean? But mm -hmm. our first 
as white people, our first inclination is to get our hackles up. No, 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 I'm not. You can't call me racist. But I love what you said about celebrating difference, because mm -hmm. that is the difference from how we were raised. We were raised about being polite, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And not talking about it. And I know from my parents' generation was better than my grandparents' generation. And so I think the charge for our generation is to stop ignoring difference, but celebrating difference. And I love the way that you said that. Tell me about what you've learned from your husband. It's interesting. I, I mean, I've obviously learned so much from him about race and other, other things. Of course, <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, I didn't realize, I think, how often he deals with racism. And I'm not talking about, you know, the the people in the in the white hats and the you know like the outward you like, mean the point the pointy white hats yeah, that kind of yeah, yeah. the like the what what the obvious racism, right. obvious racism but just like little comments here and there that if you hear them all the time can just really kind of be defeating and you know when we really talk about it and i really hear what it is like to be an african american or what it can be like to be an african american in this country it is a little bit disheartening <laughs> but i will say that i do think i don't want to be like downtrodden completely pessimistic i do think that each generation gets better and better you know look at my family like we have never dealt with outright racism nobody has ever called us names we don't get stared at when we go out in public which is a huge difference 40 years ago an interracial couple would probably not even dream of going out to dinner in public so i do think with each generation we get better um, I do think most people are good people and want to learn and do better and, and, you know, everybody get along and not have racism in this country. So I think there's a lot of optimism uh, moving forward for even our next generation to be even better. And I know that, you know, this podcast is dedicated. I mean, we're all white women and we're talking about this from a white perspective and, and you being married to a black man. And we definitely will have future episodes where we get the black perspective and, you know, like a reaction to what we're saying today. But the other thing, too, is to pay, pay attention to your to your own house. I mean, if you're somebody who is in a white house, pay attention to what you say when your children are within earshot, you mentioned Colleen about how children are wildly observant. I mean, we all were, that's how I learned more from watching my parents than hearing my parents, you know, mm -hmm. telling me something. And I was lucky enough to be in a household that did not see a black person on television and then say something derogatory about it or hear about a black person in the community and say something derogatory about it. But I have friends who grew up in those households. And so that's the thing, you know, that systemic racism, you know, what people don't understand is like, how do you talk about differences like Jen said? How do you react to somebody on television? Even if you don't mean to say something derogatory, how does your children, how, what is their interpretation of what you just said? Right. Um, you know, my baby mama and I've had that conversation before about saying words that we might think are funny, but our son is going to take literally and has nothing to do with racism, but other things. And so We've tried to be very careful about what we say around him so that we're morphing something in his mind that we never intended. So I think that everybody who is not black, you know, or is what I'm just going to say white, because this this could be for any race. Mm -hmm. If you're part of the majority, then you need to be very careful what you say in your own home, because to me, that is the source of the majority of the problems we have. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think education, too. You know, I wanted to go back um, to your point about 
about when we were talking about when to introduce these concepts to kids. One thing that has struck me being a white person and now having black children is I don't have a choice about whether or not to talk to them about racism because I have to prepare them for the reality of the world that they're going into. White parents do have a choice. White parents never have to talk to their white children about racism if they don't want to. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, and so a lot of people don't because it's uncomfortable. And be, and I've heard, you know, I don't want my eight-year-old to know that the world is that terrible yet. Well, I don't have a choice for my eight-year-old to know that the world right. is that terrible. And I think if we all, all parents went in with the, with the thought of we don't have a choice, then I think that the world would be a better place. In, in just a one generation or two, because I think it comes down to education. If Black children are being raised knowing that there is racism, knowing America is a systemically racist society, and white children are being raised not knowing that it's a systemically racist society, then it makes the clash much more uh, likely to happen as they become adults. Whereas if everybody was dealing with the same knowledge then they could work together to combat racism in America. And where do you think that entry point is for kids? Is it talking about history? Because I feel like in the conversations with my daughter so far, that's the way the race conversation has come up, is learning about history, learning about the history of our country, learning about Dr. King. Mm -hmm. And those have been some of the kickstarters for those conversations. Yeah, I think history, but then I also think bringing current events into it too, so that so that they don't think like I did as a child that right. was still in the past and everything. Right. Like bringing up some of the current event issues, which are hard. And listen, I, again, I'm not the expert. I go online a lot of times trying to find expert opinions about how to talk appropriately with different age children. Like when the George Floyd thing happened, how do we? do this. I don't want my children to be terrified of the police, right. but I also need them to be aware, you know, and protect themselves. So it's, it's all of these fine lines and figuring it out, just like you talk about any difficult uh, subject with your, your children. So again, I'm certainly no expert, but it's, it's, um, I think it's worth looking into for, for every parent. When it, it seems like there's a fine balance too, of, uh, I saw somewhere and it had, didn't have to do with race, but it had to do with some event that it maybe it was 9-11. I'm trying to think of where I heard this advice for mm. children uh, during that time. And it was all children want to do is feel safe. That's their number one goal is they want to know they're safe. And if they feel safe, then they can thrive. And so in these conversations too, it's like you said, there's a balance of reality, but it's also there has to be hope involved in that conversation because our children very well will be the ones to do so much better. My mother did not meet her. She And she told the story with so much embarrassment, but she was raised in a rural country community. And the first black man that she met was not until she was like in elementary school. Mm -hmm. And when she, and when she saw him, she screamed because she didn't know what to expect when this man walked up to her and because he was a friend of her father. And, and I think her, and I think my grandfather was like, I never even thought to prepare my daughter for this and the reaction. So she told that story her whole life with, like I said, a great deal of embarrassment. And then we evolve into her grandson. He's the only white boy in his class. So, you know, there is, there is an evolution. It's hard to see it when you're living it. You know, mm -hmm. history shows it very starkly. But, you know, I do think that in, in conveying it, even 
you know, regardless of what your, your household is, I think not giving so much of your fear to your children to the point of them being paralyzed by it. Right. Uh, I think that's, that is going to the extreme on the other end too. Yep. Completely agree. So Colleen, tell us um, some, could we maybe get some of your recommendations for the children's books that you all have read in your house? I would love to put those in the show notes later. Yes. I actually don't have titles off the top of my head, but I have a slew. Can I email them to you and you can yeah. to the show notes? You're yeah. an author. You're an author. You should, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no, I don't expect you to have them memorized. No, <laughs> no I was just great. thinking that would be really cool recommendations because you might have some books on your shelf in your house that we don't yet in ours yeah. and um, would be really helpful to to know. And so speaking of books, we've got to talk about your books and your latest book, which is so good. Melissa Carter, you are going to love it. It's <laughs> the invisible husband of Brick Island. Um, it I is love so that title. juicy. It's lovable. It's heart wrenching. It's, it's all of the above. It takes you through. I mean, there were some pages where I'm laughing and other ones where I'm crying. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's best. just, yeah, so great. So, um, so tell us about the inspiration for your characters. Do they come from people, you know, I mean, how do you get started on developing these rich characters in your books? Yeah. So my, none of my characters in my books um, are based on real people yet. <laughs> right. That's what you tell your sure. family. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think that like most authors, most fiction writers, you know, definitely you steal fun little quirks and characteristics uh, for some characters from people in your life, sometimes on purpose and sometimes just completely subconsciously. Like I won't even know I'm doing it and maybe I'll go back and read and I'll be like, oh my gosh, that's just like my friend, you know, so-and-so or whatever. Um, but yeah, they don't come from real people. So everyone who knows me can take a, take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> there was this podcast where these women just kept asking me about now. Right? <laughs> well, I, what is your favorite part of get, getting a book out? Like, is it the writing process or is it once it's on the shelf? And I mean, like, do you go into a bookstore and just kind of, you know, check, and then you see your book up there and you're just kind of, I would totally be spying that aisle and seeing if anybody comes up and looks at it and then, you know, get my feelings hurt if they put it back on the shelf and walk on, <laughs> you know, but you know, what is your favorite part of this process? Yeah. I mean, seeing your book on the shelf is, is probably one of the ultimate rewards, right? Because writing a book, I always compare it to, um, running a marathon. It is not, it, it, it's not a sprint. Like this is a long, it takes me like a year and a half to get a book out into the world. It's a slog. Um, it's a lot of words. It's a lot of pages. And so that final, you know, holding the book in your hands, seeing it on the shelf, um, getting emails from readers, it's very, very rewarding. I, I would say much like I would think finishing a marathon would be. I've never done it and I don't plan to do it. <laughs> I would be very rewarding. Well, it's almost like when, when I think of, um, you know, the summer and the Olympics, you know, in Tokyo and, you know, you see this when they allow you to see the podium, you know, ceremony. It, it, as you say that, I think of you can see the look on their face when that battle's finally over their neck because how many years of training right. went into right. that 10 second, you know, motion of wearing a medal. So, uh, yes, exactly. I, yes, I could see where it's a, here's your medal. 
Colleen, <laughs> you have a new book. You've won the gold. <laughs> and you've got to tell Melissa this amazing um, process where your books become movies because Hollywood has oh, bought yeah. Colleen's books before. So which ones do they have contracts on for movies and how, how does that world happen? Well, I'm still learning about that world. It's a whole different beast from the publishing industry. And You Were There Too, which was my third book, was bought by Reese Witherspoon's company, Hello Sunshine, and which was wildly exciting. But what I've learned is that I think something like 90% of books that get bought to be turned into movies or TV shows don't actually get made. So the the studio or the or the company will buy the rights to the material for like a year, year and a half, depending on what's in the contract. And they'll work very hard at maybe getting a script, getting a director attached, getting an actor or actress attached to the to the work and hopefully start the ball rolling on it getting made into a um, into a real you know movie or TV show, but maybe it won't. So I just have fingers crossed. I'm hopeful. Frick Island is out with a couple different producers right now, and we're hoping for an offer soon. Who knows? It would just be wildly exciting if one day I get to look up at the screen and see my book made into a real movie. <laughs> we'd have to we'd have to do saying a premiere for it, Jen. I mean, you yes. know, not not that you asked us to do that for you, but just saying we might have to have a frenzy <laughs> premiere for your book. But I or your movie from a book, but I'm a part of a movie club and that helped me get through the pandemic where we meet on Zoom one night a week and then we talk about the movie we watch during that week and then we rotate who chooses for the next week. And then we watch it at our convenience to get together and we talk about it. And in doing so, we've got really gotten into it. Like in the beginning, it was just a way to drink and get together. But now it's like we really dive into the history of the movie and stuff. And majority of movies are based on books. I mean, so Hollywood really, you know, relies on you, Colleen, and people to, to really create these stories. But it it shows like there was somewhere they got optioned and made. They got optioned and then that lease expired somebody else bought the rights and did it so yeah it, it this looks like it's another uh marathon right potentially yes. but it's cool that you have more than one book out there that is that's being shopped around or being you know has been sold and so one of these one of these at least if not all of them is going to get on the screen i hope so and if you do do a premiere party i expect a podium and a gold medal Yes. <laughs> yes. Colleen is, a, see, she's a writer full circle. She finished that story and you, you're damn right. I'll have a gold medal for you. <laughs> Would you get to be involved in any of the productions if they turn your book into a movie? Like, do you get to pick the lead character? Do you get to go to the red carpet premiere? Any of that is, or no. is does what that... I'm told? No. <laughs> 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 Not at all. I do get to go to the red carpet premiere. That's in my contract. Um, but other than that, I mean, I basically get no say. Now, now, apparently, depending on your director, they may want some input from the author, but but not often, which is probably a good thing because if I was in charge of casting, Ryan Gosling would be in every movie playing every character. <laughs> uh, right. You'd be like, oh right. yeah, these are getting boring. Here's another one. Well, and, and probably the reason for that too is I'm sure Hollywood's protecting themselves from being with a you know an author that they would have a toxic relationship with, but also it's a different mm. medium. So I could spend a month 
if I'm a slow reader, which I am, I could spend a month with your book and, and that be a part of my life for a month where on the screen is an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. So there's so much out of a book that they would have to shave off in order to tell the story well. And I'm sure for a lot of authors, it's like, that's my baby. You can't cut that part. You know what I mean? So maybe right. they've learned their lesson and, and are just kind of, we'll see. Yep. <laughs> and, and that's what I, um, author friends who have had their material turned into movies. That is what they say is that that as the movie that then becomes somebody else's baby, because it is a completely different medium and you do have to let go of ownership and just be glad that the story is being retold in another way. Um, you know, that people liked your story enough to then retell it on screen. You just, you have to kind of let go of ownership a little bit. Jen, this is you, me talking because, you know, but I, you know what, it really irritates me about Hollywood is the fact that why in the world would you option a book and then, and then change, change the it. story completely? Like yeah. the, the fans of the book are the ones going to see the movie and because yeah. that's what offends me. That's the, though, well, and those movies don't do well. So anyway, that's not going to happen to Colleen's book. That's why I said, you know, <laughs> but she's going to be in that director's chair right next to the director. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. totally. hundred percent. And she's going to let us on set, at, you know, maybe, maybe once. We'll be the paparazzi. We'll be the paparazzi stalking Colleen outside with our cameras. Exactly. Get these girls away from me. <laughs> so Colleen, I know that a lot of people think they have a book in them. Mm -hmm. What would be your advice? If somebody's just wakes up in the morning, they're like, they've got this burning desire, but what advice would you give somebody who wants to start? Yeah, it's very challenging. I think for, and I do think a lot of people have a book in them. Everybody has a story, even if it's your own life story, uh, you know, you have a story that you can tell um, that's a unique perspective to, to you. So I encourage people to write um, and write that story that's in their heart. But I think it's very overwhelming, particularly to people who are not used to writing. Like if your career has nothing to do with writing or you don't keep a journal, it can be very overwhelming to start. So what I tell people is to open up a Word document and just write for five or 10 minutes a day, carve out that time. But the key is doing it every single day, because if you let a day go by, then before you know it, a week's gone by and then a month has gone by. You've lost the threads of the story. You start getting down on yourself like I can't do it. It becomes very overwhelming to even open the document again. And then you're just it, it's gone. So so go every single day into the document, even if you only write a sentence or two, even if you jot down an idea, even if you just have time to reread what you wrote the day before, because it's the momentum that's important. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's such good advice. So good. Well, and I have uh, done a children's book, Colleen, and that's simple. I know. I have your children's book. Oh, <laughs> really? Oh, yay. Well, I, I will let you know that Mr. Carter said to me just this morning because his teacher surprised me by reading it to the class last oh. week. And so he uh, told me this morning, he said, Mama, you need to write another book. So it was very okay. sweet. But I did uh, tell Jen, like, uh, I challenge myself with fiction because I, I tend to write more memoir. You know, I do a column and it's all about my life and on the air we've talked about. So I thought, well, uh, let me challenge myself to fiction. And, and so this is kind of going to what your advice with people and being consistent. The challenge I have um, when I try to write fiction is I have a vibe in me one day. Mm -hmm. And I have this voice that comes out one day, but let's say the next day I'm looking at it and I can't rep, I'm not in the same mind space as I was the day mm -hmm. before when I was writing this down. So, you know, furthering that if people are going to start writing it every day and I'm in my and I'm doing fiction, mm -hmm. how do you maintain the voice of your character, regardless of what your mood may be? 
That's an interesting question. Sometimes people do it with music to get you back into that zone. If your character, you know, there's a certain song that kind of reminds you of that character or puts you in the mood of the mood that they're in, that can be really helpful. But the other thing I would say is sometimes you just have to push through that. You know, allow yourself to write poorly. Allow yourself to write a paragraph or a page that is not flowing with the vibe of what you had the day before because you can always edit it. You can't edit a blank page, but you can edit bad sentences and make turn them into something good. The other thing I would say is that maybe that's not your novel, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe you're trying out different things and you haven't found the one that's going to stick. Maybe you have, but maybe you haven't. And maybe allow yourself that next day to write something completely different and see if that's the thing that's going to stick. Or maybe that completely different character is going to fold into your novel somehow. Colleen, but I'm a woman. I have to be perfect from the very start. Okay. So as soon as it's on the page, it's got to be perfect. So what and are you published, telling me? Right. Yeah, and published. It, has to, it has to go all the way through and be a bestseller or what else is I'm this, never doing it. What is this crap you're telling me? I'm done with this interview. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's it. Melissa, but, I'm on my, I'm writing my fifth book right now. And every day I sit down and feel that way. Like what? Still. What? Just be perfect with when it comes out, why is this terrible? I'm supposed to be good at this. So when people tell me that, when you when people tell me I'm writing and it's awful, I say you're doing it right. Because <laughs> you're actually because you're actually writing. Because you're actually writing. Yes. Yeah. That is awesome. All right. Well, I want our audience to go find out more about you and buy your books, of course, at ColleenOakley.com. You can also follow her at writer Colleen Oakley on Instagram and see this beautiful family we were talking about earlier. I know. And okay, Colleen, you're not out of the woods yet because you're Uh-oh. on the hot seat because we do the frenzy five. So <laughs> it's five questions that allow our audience to get to know you even better. And it's questions that nobody else is asking. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. The first question of our frenzy five is where is your cozy, happy place? In my house, on my couch, uh, watching, snuggled up with my kids and watching movies. Oh, Number two, what's your favorite framed thing in your house? Oh, this is easy. So my first house with my husband uh, that we bought, that we purchased together was in Knoxville, Tennessee. When we first Hey, go balls. And um, (laughs) and we had, it was this adorable 1926 Spanish casita. We only lived there for like a year and a half, but I loved this house. And as a gift, when we moved, my um, aunt, who's a very gifted painter, painter, painted the house for us and framed it. And I, it's just, you know, it's the beginning of our relationship and it's just beautiful. So many good memories in that house. Oh, yay. I love that. Uh, Number three, what's your most memorable birthday? Oh, gosh. Um, I think 40, which was last year, um, because now I'm old and that's how far back I can remember. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the best decade. Yeah, exactly. My husband turned our basement. It was during the pandemic, right? So we couldn't go out. We couldn't, um, you know, quarantine wasn't happening, but, you know, we didn't want to go out to restaurants and all of that. So my husband turned our basement into an Italian restaurant. Unbeknownst to me, it was a complete surprise. And invited our very best couple friends over, and uh, we had a great time. Oh, that's an awesome idea. Uh, Number four of our Frenzy Five is, what's a daily routine or ritual that you stick to? 
uh, coffee every single morning. Mm. <laughs> Boring, but true. No. And writing. Cause I was, I was you know, that yeah. counts. And number five, what fashion trend did you jump on? And this could be any age. <laughs> Um, so many, probably the worst and most embarrassing was the grunge trend in high school. And I was the girl in no fear t-shirts. If you remember that brand yes. and flannel tied around my waist. Never, you never wear it. You don't actually put right. the flannel shirt on. You just, does that make you a lesbian, Colleen? That's what that would do. <laughs> well, this might also make me a lesbian. I also wore socks with Adidas flip-flops with the flannel and the no fear i, I don't know oh, in high school you were so yeah. cool you were the yeah. cool girl everybody's like oh i'm just mom i need socks that go with my flip-flops so i can be yeah. like colleen yeah. well <laughs> because they were adidas or fashion advice for sure <laughs> yeah because they were adidas uh that doesn't make you a lesbian if it's a different brand that might you know birkenstocks birkenstocks for sure for sure for sure i have socks <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm a lesbian. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um. <laughs> Fantastic. That's it. You're out of the hot seat. Great yeah. job on the front nice five. Job, Yay. Nice Wonderful. Job. Well, Colleen, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really awesome conversation. And everybody, I encourage you to go read her novels. They are wonderful. They will take you and whisk you away to another story. And sometimes it's just the escape we all need. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you to the Frenzy team. I'm so grateful to have been on. Thanks, awesome. Guys. Thank you. So I really enjoyed that conversation with Colleen. I know she was nervous talking about her family feeling vulnerable. So I appreciate her doing that because I really do think that, um, and we've said this before, that when you feel nervous about telling your story, more than likely you're going to have a bigger impact with it because mm -hmm. you are feeling vulnerable. And I know a lot of um, people will be touched by that you know, not think about some of the things she brought up. And I think again, for us to be able to have these conversations and be able to learn, be coachable on everything, uh, regardless of your race, it's not just white people that have to be coached, right? It's everybody needs to be coachable. Um, and I think we do it together. That's what, you know, friendships over 40 is all about. We can have these conversations, but I'm also fascinated by her writing life and the fact that we may mm -hmm. have a event that's going to be a premiere for one of these books is going to have a movie. I know it. And we're throwing the party. Absolutely. Exactly. Yes. We are throwing the party <laughs> for sure. Well, and there were a lot of takeaways for me from this conversation. I think what Colleen said about books and making sure the books in your home have representation of all cultures yes. um, mm -hmm. and making sure that you're not just defaulting to what is, you know, on the front of the shelf at Target or on the front of the, you know, Amazon list that you're really um, thoughtfully and intentionally choosing what your kids are reading at any level, whether your kids mm -hmm. are, you know, and also for yourself too. Are you reading authors that are of all races and cultures and reflecting right. that for your kids? One thing that she brought up that I think is a big deal is dolls. Now, I don't know if this is in your world, Melissa, because you have a son. I offered I'm, it. I I'm offered guessing it he's not world. playing with a ton of dolls. I offered it because I felt like that was that's something that we force upon boys and girls to do stereotypical things. So he mm -hmm. had access to them and he chose he just yeah. wasn't into it. I mean, kids are into just what they're into, right? So mm -hmm. sometimes you, you know, you can present all the different toys and they're gonna just gravitate to what they're naturally interested in. And my kids love playing with their dolls. They love setting up, you know, and they play with like the American girl dolls. And then the, what are the knockoff ones at Target? They're called something else. Those are the ones we have most of. 
Um, but <laughs> what I will say is that I have intentionally in the last several years tried to make sure we have all mixed races. My husband is from Hispanic heritage. So our last name is Rivera. And on his father's side, his grandparents immigrated from Cuba and Puerto Rico. And so he has darker skin and my older daughter has darker skin. Now, my younger daughter tends to favor me more and has lighter skin. But I have wanted to make sure that their dolls reflected them as well. And I will tell you, it is harder to find dolls that aren't white. It just is. And it's so bizarre to me. I mean, I, when you put it on your radar and you start thinking about it and we celebrate difference, like we talked about with Colleen, mm -hmm. how do we celebrate difference with all the things around us? Like when you get a birthday present and a new baby doll and you open a new baby doll that has a different skin color, this is celebrating difference, but it is much harder to find. Yeah. Um, and it was shocking to me when I really started paying attention. Well, and that's why we have to, you know, again, being coachable is the fact that instead of, you know, I, I'm a firm believer instead of having that knee jerk, I don't, you know, I already know I don't, you know, it's like Colleen said, you know, people have this defensive mechanism a lot of times when they're, they're trying to, you know, their mind to be expanded and you have to stop that. I mean, maybe it's a natural resistance, but you have to stop it and allow it to go past it and then actually learn something. Like you said, I mean, why would you ever think that unless you know, and, but again, in your situation, you have multi multicultural backgrounds in your family, in your heritage. Um, and you know, I'm just white as white comes. Right. And so I think, but you know, one of the great things for me, I've always said that being a lesbian helped me so much because I think if you're a part of any kind of minority, then it brings or should bring a sensitivity to other minorities. Right. Um, and, you know, for me, it, it's it's been also about gender because I, um, you know, my son has two mothers, so he's got plenty of estrogen, you know, going on. But in representation in books and toys, I've wanted to make sure that I show as many female heroes as male heroes. And, uh, you know, like for instance, PJ masks, you know, that's very popular with kids and there's two boys and a girl. He naturally had Owlette as his favorite. So Owlette is the girl mm -hmm. and, um, her name's Amaya, you know, that's her, her person character. And then, you know, and he loves Amaya even more than Owlette. Like, I think he has a little crush on Amaya, but he asked me, this is years ago. He's a little like grown up, but he asked me for a costume for Owlette. And so I'm like, you absolutely didn't have a costume for Owlette. Now, I didn't say anything to his family about it, like his extended family. But I remember having a little nerve, like, please don't screw this up. Please don't say anything. Or they about say it. anything yeah, I about thought they it. were going to screw it up and make him feel self-conscious. Right. I was so relieved that all of his family members were like, oh, my gosh, that's fantastic. Who is this? And, and was embracing. And then for kindergarten, he had an Owlette backpack. So, you know, the fact that we celebrated the fact that his favorite superhero for a long time was a girl and that was okay because mm -hmm. we may, we don't tell girls it's not okay to be fans of Superman and Batman and those things. And so I just think, again, you know, people think it's weak to be sensitive people, you know, I've, I, you know, we all have the culture and we see it, you know, <laughs> we see it in parts of our culture of people who think it's, you know, we're tearing people down by being so sensitive to everybody and people getting their feelings hurt and kind of making fun of the fact of what we're trying to do. But well, that's just a cynical perspective that really exactly. has no room here, especially with what we're talking about with, it, you know, friendships and doing better and being mothers and exactly. raising a new generation that can celebrate difference. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that 
I think that cynicism and a resistance to change and growth is a reflection of ignorance. I agree with you. I absolutely agree you with know. you. I think that um, I think that we have allowed the lesser intelligent part of us as people. I'm not saying, you know, there's we all are guilty of times of letting our lesser intelligence over you know, take over. And I think that that we were really showing that you you are intelligent, whoever you are, you are intelligent and you can use your intelligence to its its biggest potential. And by doing that, you realize that everybody deserves a place at the table. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there was some quote, and, I, and I'm going to, I don't know if it's Audre Lorde, I don't know who said it, but it, it basically said, if you don't have a seat at the table, then you're the one being served at the table. So everybody deserves to have a seat and to break bread with each other, regardless of where you come from. And we need to teach our children the same thing and help Absolutely. teach other children the same thing. So, And we are going to share some of Colleen's children's book recommendations in the show notes. So if you want to diversify your library and you've got young kids like we still do, um, yep. then that may be something. But if you're a grandparent and you are buying gifts for grandchildren as well, this might be a list that you want to take a look at. Um, and just think about that. I mean, growing up, I didn't have any dolls that were of any other color. And I don't think that mm -hmm. that was any other reason than my parents just didn't think of it. Right. I mean, and I had it, all white cabbage patch dolls. Yep. And I, you know, we just didn't even, it, it doesn't cross your mind until it crosses your mind. And then you can do better, right? We don't, we can't do better if we don't know better. But right. then once you know better, you got to do better. I will say in, um, you know, cause I'm a little older than Jen. And so cabbage patch dolls, uh, derived from what was called adoption dolls. I don't know if you were, if you were familiar with adoption dolls. No so clue. So Cabbage Patch Dolls kind of stole the adoption doll idea, and that was basically you made your own doll, and that was something we did in Girl Scouts. Now, I, I don't remember Cute. having one. I don't know if my skill set was good enough, but I do remember having a diverse um, Girl Scout troop, even in my small town. I mean, I That's was— awesome. I had a diverse group of friends and in our neighborhood, fortunately had a diverse group of people. And so my African-American friends um, made African-American dolls as adoption dolls. So basically it was, you made your own doll, you gave it a name, you gave it a background. And it was like, you adopted this doll from the Sweet. cabbage patch. And so cabbage patch kind of took that idea and made a company out of it. But um, you know, so that was an opportunity. So it just made me think that when you could make your own, you could reflect who you were in your doll. Mm -hmm. When Cabbage Patch came along, they whitewashed it, right? Mm -hmm. And the same with American Girl. Now, I don't know. I'm not familiar with American Girl. I remember the books back in the day, but I, I'm not familiar with what, you know, the dolls that came from it. And I think the ones at Target, I just, it came to me, are called Our Generation okay. Dolls. And there's, there's a few of different races and cultures and background, but it's not as much as it needs to be. Well, and, and, you know, and we could talk about this all day, but you know, one of the things that I'm still shocked by and I still see in the news is African-American kids who get in trouble because of their hair, like the hair culture, like the fact that we still can't embrace. There are some schools that won't allow braids, won't allow, especially for boys, um, won't allow traditional African hair. And I, I That's struggle. insane. I struggle with that because I'm like, I, first of all, I've got straight, straight, straight hair. And so especially when I see afros and natural hair, I did, there's a part of me that's like, oh, my hair's so straight and you're so curly and that looks so beautiful. And I wish I had curls in my hair. You're jealous. Uh, yes. And, but I, I don't, 
to me, it goes back to what you said, embrace difference. Mm -hmm. What is the problem just because you don't style your hair a certain way or you can't, you know, white hair can't do some of the things that black hair can do. And just because our boys and girls who are black, who are trying to have a hairstyle that they want to have, I don't understand. But yes, there are stories in the news about, you know, that's insane. Yes. That is so crazy. I've so anyway, never seen that. So we're, so we're got a long ways to go because the thing is we just have to go exactly what Jen said, celebrate difference, whatever it is. Don't be threatened by difference and don't be threatened by these conversations and neither will we. Yeah. Take a chance to reflect on your life and make some changes where you can. All right. Now it's time to grab a question out of the, you don't know my life box. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm always, I always get nervous. All right, here it is. Describe a time when you fell down. Because <laughs> that's just Oh my funny. gosh, last week. Oh <laughs> my gosh. I was such a klutz and I ended up getting like a tiny strawberry on my knee from it. So I am such a ding dong. I'm trying to go back to the gym and get back in a workout routine. <laughs> I had gone to this gym like once or twice, like it. But I'm still trying to be cool. I'm like the new kid. You know, you're still trying to figure out, you know, like, where do I put my things? And it's like being the new kid in class, right? And uh, I was following someone in. So she, uh, you know, is like definitely like 20 years younger than me, like prances up the little steps and is like holding the door for me. So I felt like I had to hurry and I had like my keys and my glasses oh, no. and my purse in my hand. And I was a little disheveled and I turned and I saw that she was holding the door open for me. And I tried to run up the stairs and I fell straight down on my knee oh, splat honey. <laughs> like a ding dong. And I totally split my fingernail off and I was like, Oh, <sighs> how embarrassing. But I just bounced back up again. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Cause that's the first thing you do. Right. right. I don't want attention for this. <laughs> no, you can't admit that it hurts or that you might be bleeding or you can't just sit and rest. You have to like pop back up and be like, that didn't happen. Yeah. It didn't happen. Everybody. Yeah. Forget I'm it. Forget really it. not Mulligan. an idiot. Mulligan. <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm fairly coordinated. I will say that I have friends who are klutzy. My new kitten that I've talked yeah, about, like he's me. incredibly <laughs> klutzy. It's funny to watch it in animals. He's, he doesn't have a sense of balance and he falls over all the time, which is very funny. But I, the two times that I injured myself, I'll talk because I, I don't remember falling very often, but the two times I have have been consistent in where I fell and I injured myself both times. That was off a curb, walking off a curb. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is about curbs. So imbalance of space and time. I guess. Doesn't know the distance. And of course, you know, that's when I hyper extend my ankle. So that's, that gives you cringes anyway, but that happened both times. So I was in college. I <laughs> And I was uh, coming out of a, some kind of a gym class. Like I was an elective. I don't know. I forgot what I took, but I was glad that I had taken it because I was limbered up. And so when I fell off that curb, I sprained my ankle, but it wasn't that bad. I got over it. Um, I remember having orange juice in my hand. I spilled it, of course, because, you know, you always have to, fl you know, things fly when you fall. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I was at Disney World, Walt Disney World. And I was talking and walking and then the sidewalk turned and I didn't oh, no. see the sidewalk turn. And, and I just boom, I fell into a bush. There was a bush right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh and, man. And you know, Disney's got cameras everywhere. So there's I, video of you and, falling into that bush somewhere. And that's not cool because you can't jump right up because you're struggling <laughs> to get out of the bush at the same time. And I had really injured myself. I had to wear a boot cause I had oh. torn like a tendon or something. In oh no. But the two. Yeah. Those I'm are the sorry. two times I fell about the Disney, but I'm sorry for laughing right. about the bush. Okay. You should have, because it's funny because at the time it was just like, I, and when I'm, when I'm face planting into a bush, I thought, cause that is in your mind, I'm not thinking about the ankle. I'm thinking about, okay, I can't recover from this on a ego level. This is, you no. know, this is not cool. Yeah. Falls can be a shaming <laughs> event, can't they? <laughs> oh, we're telling you, steal these for the dinner table with your friends. Yes. Steal these for your work meetings. They're great icebreaker questions as well. And it's your reminder to share your story. We talk about it each and every week on the Frenzy Podcast. Open up about who you are, what your stories are. Share it with trusted friends because your story matters. I know a lot of people listen, we drop, you know, new episodes of The Frenzy every Monday, and a lot of people use this segment for their motivation for the week. So Jen has this week's mirror mantra. Okay, it's quite simple. Just looking in the mirror and say, I'm going to celebrate differences between humans. Yes. So if someone points out that someone is different from you, I hope that this week your first response will be like, that's awesome. Yes. Rather than Agreed. recognizing difference as different, as weird, um, as odd or strange. Or dangerous. Let's recognize difference as awesome. And I think when I say dangerous, I'm also thinking about handicap because there's a lot of people that will shy away from the handicap because they feel like, oh, if I'm, if I'm comfortable with that, then something's going to happen to me. I, I, you know, so I think that it's every difference. It's every difference. It's not just somebody the way who's got tons of piercings. Yep. You see somebody has tons of piercings or tons of tattoos or tons of something different than you be like, that's awesome. That yeah. person is so different from me. And that's great. Yeah. If their hair is different, like we mentioned, you know, again, if their bodies are different, it's just, yeah, I, it's boring. Just, just think about the end result of not wanting things to be different. I mean, what are we doing? Do we realize what we're causing? It would be boring and it causes people to be unhappy. So, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I love your mantra. I'm going to uh, also remind people to look at your friend group. I always say that I have a diverse friend group. And when we're on zoom meetings together, I'm proud that all the boxes look different. So when my son comes up and just is just interrupting to say hi to everybody that he's already exposed to people of different races, different ages, um, in different genders, all in the same place for him to see. I just think some people use their personal lives is monochromatic as well. So That's great true. mantra. Yes. So look in the mirror. I'm going to celebrate difference and say, that's awesome. Is there a friend of yours who would enjoy this episode? Well, why not share it with her? It's pretty easy. Okay. I'm going to explain the Apple podcast sharing um, because that's where most of our listeners are. But of course, we're everywhere. Um, for Apple podcasts, in, Apple podcasts in particular, look for the three dots at the top right corner. Still can't talk throughout this episode. Uh, so the three, there's three dots. When you're looking at the frenzy, you click on those three dots. There's a drop down menu and you, you select where it says share episode and then select the green messages option and text it to a friend. Uh, again, if there's ever a time that you need our help and we want us to personally step-by-step -step help you, Melissa at thefrenzy.com and Jen at thefrenzy.com.
And please check out our Frenzy YouTube channel. It's got videos and extended interviews. We'd also love for you to sign up at thefrenzy.com for our email list. If you subscribe, then we can send one message a week with the episode right to your inbox as a little reminder of, um, hey, listen to the show this week. And we also put links in there of other things that you can explore and the show notes are right in that email. So subscribe today at thefrenzy.com. Look, Jen's in charge of that newsletter, and I love it because she's so good at it. And the other thing about the newsletter, we are experimenting with something new. Uh, it's a private Facebook page because we talk about friendships over 40. We know a lot of you were like, I need to meet some new friends. I just kind of, you know, I'm kind of on my own here, outgrown my friends. So we're starting a brand new private Facebook group that Jen and I moderate. So we make sure that it's women over 40 in there. Um, and we want you to get to know each other. And, and hopefully the show will inspire, will be the cupids for people's new friendships. Right, Jen? So the only that's way... Yeah, that's our hope. So the only way you can get that link to that private Facebook group is by subscribing to The Frenzy uh, at thefrenzy.com. And three new names who we have on our subscription list, and we really appreciate it. Annette Montalongo, Elise Roth-Tedeschi, and Ashley Parks. Thank you guys so much. And it's always nice to recognize some of these names that uh, we have on our subscription list. So thank you. Yes, exactly. Shout out to our friends. Okay, The Frenzy is hosted and produced by Melissa Carter and me, Jen Hobby. Hey, girl. Uh, Sound editing by Bo Johnson. Original soundtrack produced by Tammy Hurt for placement music, written and recorded by Mark Daniels. The Frenzy celebrates friendships over 40. This is a fun time of life. Make sure it is for you, and thank you for spending your time with us. We truly love your friendship. Okay, until next week. Trust your gut, share your story, and stop stop lying about your age. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next time.